Welcome to Intuitive Eating for Christian Women. I'm your co-host, Erin Todd. I'm a writer and an intuitive eater. And I'm your co-host, Charlie Castle, registered dietitian and exercise physiologist. We're here to help you discover whole health for your mind, body, and soul. That's right. Our goal is to embody scripture, ditch dieting, and live on purpose. Yes, girl. Today's episode is a special one, and I'd like to give this content warning at the beginning. This episode includes references to weight numbers, weight loss, BMI, and the O word. In some prior episodes, we have chosen to bleep out those references as potentially triggering, but in the context of this conversation, uh, they're shared as part of our guest's personal history, and they're not going to be bleeped out. So listener discretion is advised. As a bit of a backstory here, our guest, Sarah Geringer, released a book in 2019 called Transforming Your Thought Life, Christian Meditation and Focus. I was on her book launch team, and I devoured the book. I loved it. It helped me so much in my own mindfulness and meditation practice. So I thought it was going to be really helpful for our intuitive eating skill that we like to call taking every diet thought captive. So we wanted to have her on as a guest to talk about the book, Transforming Your Thought Life. But God had another plan. And this episode ended up being more of a real raw conversation and a bit of a surprise coaching session of sorts as well. And I just know Sarah's story has so much power, and I pray it will bless you today. Before we jump into the conversation with Sarah, as a reminder for all of our podcast episodes, this program is for informational and educational purposes only, and it is not a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice. Our aim is to introduce you to the principles of intuitive eating and help you to see how those principles align with scripture so you can improve your relationship with food, your body, and God and cast out dieting for good. Let's jump into the episode. Good morning, Sarah. Thanks for being with us today. We're excited to have you on the podcast. I am so excited. This is a part of my story I don't share about very often, so it's it's kind of thrilling to be able to share part of it with you all today. Yay. It's so powerful to hear um, other women's uh, food stories and God stories. So why don't you just start us at the beginning of yours, wherever that is? Well, I'm a highly sensitive person. Uh, I know I'm very sensitive to light, to sound, to touch. And I actually think I might be um, more sensitive to taste than the average person. So like I can pick out, you know, spices and seasonings and and other people are just like, it tastes good. You know what I mean? So I think I was probably even that way as a child. And um, some of my best memories really growing up as uh, a child of divorce at age four, it was anytime we gathered together to eat. And that was where it felt like our family was still intact, I guess. It was kind of like a sacred time. And I feel like, you know, everybody in our family, a lot of Midwesterners, I think, uh, connect with food. You know, it's it's like a safe place to 
indulge in delight in something. And uh, my family was no exception. I remember, um, you know, at my great grandparents' farm uh, with my grandparents who uh, helped raise me, um, they, they had these huge gardens and we would eat produce from the garden that I would go help pick and clean and snap beans and all those things. So being involved in the harvest process was also very satisfying, knowing that we were um, literally eating what we had grown. And uh, that, that gave me an appreciation for, even as a young girl, for the gift that food is. It's not something to be taken for granted. Now, I was, uh, I was in a Lutheran school, which I'm something, um, it's something I'm very proud of. It's made me uh, appreciate, uh, have like a high view of God and a reverence for his word, my Lutheran upbringing. But I had some really old school teachers and you had to clean your plate, you know? And I think that's maybe when some issues started, you know, if you don't eat everything, you're bad. I mean, literally, that's what I was hearing. You're a bad kid if you don't clean your plate. But as a foodie, you know, a little budding foodie, I didn't bother me, except that um, this is like a family joke now. They must have gotten like an entire pallet of beets from the U.S. government for free or something. So we had them every week. And I'm telling you, I hated those things. And I tried <laughs> to like, they'd be in slices. So you get like three or four slices of pickled beets. And I couldn't stand them. You know how all of us adults, I think everybody has like a few foods that they're just like, no, you know. That was me with beets when I was a little girl. And I tried, like, if it's a slice, you can't, like, you know, if it's if it's canned peas, you can kind of shove them around to make them look like you ate them. You can't do that with beets. And I try to hide it in a napkin and it stain the napkin, stain my pocket. Like, it was terrible. And so, I mean, I was forced to eat this thing that I hated. But... um you know, it just, I, I guess it kind of messed me up, honestly, because thinking of food as this, like I wanted to delight in it. I wanted to appreciate it, but there were these rules concerning food that literally told me I was bad if I didn't follow them, you know? So again, that was a very old school method. I think, I don't think there was harm intended in that, but um yeah, it shaped me. It shaped my view. Sure. So then when I was in fourth grade, um, that's when I started puberty. Of course, I didn't know that. And I've heard uh, Lisa Turkhurst talk about being the one um, quote unquote fat person in a family of skinny people. And that was me. And so my body's developing and I'm only nine years old, you know, I'm the, you know, started getting made fun of by the other kids for being fat, you know, so that hurt. So like many, many, many of us, when we're 
when we're um, condemned because of our body image, we use food as a comfort. And so then it starts this vicious cycle. Mm. And it was so hard knowing that it seemed like the other people in my family didn't have a problem controlling their weight, but I would watch some of them and they would just pick at their food. So, you know, they, I was hungry. Like Mm -hmm. I was in tune with what my body wanted Mm -hmm. and eating five bites of something on my dinner plate was not enough to fill me up. I'm going to have a whole plate of food, not just because I had learned the clean your plate rule, but because I was hungry, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that, I guess I decided, okay, if this is who I am, I'm not saying I necessarily like it. I don't like being overweight, but I hate being hungry even more. So I guess I'm just going to eat until I'm full. Well, the hard thing was, you know, all this emotional trauma was going on in my life. And I think when you're traumatized and you turn to food as your comfort, you're going to eat beyond mm-hmm. what you what is actually going to fill your stomach. You're going to eat because it feels good in your mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels creamy. It feels crunchy. It feels some kind of texture thing is going on. And for that 10 minutes that you're getting that blood sugar rush, it goes up, you're feeling good. I mean, it's a natural high. And so this was happening to me as a child and I didn't, I I wasn't in tune with that, but I remember one of my mother's boyfriends. So as somebody outside the family, I think everybody in the family was afraid to talk about it, you know, because it was, because they knew that it wasn't going to be received well, but he said, he sat, it was a morning sitting at the breakfast table and I was having my second bowl of honey nut Cheerios, which is still my favorite cereal. <laughs> um, and he said, you know, have you ever looked at the labels on the cereal box? And I thought he meant, you know, back in the, well, I think they still do. They put like little cartoons and mazes and mm-hmm. games on there. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you see that it says a serving is like whatever it is, a cup? And I'm like, okay, what's your point? And he's like, well, you've had like three times that much. And I'm like, so I'm, I'm like 10 years old, you know, mm-hmm. like get off my back. And he's like, you know, if you just ate less, maybe you wouldn't weigh as much. I was so furious. I've never, never shared this story before. I was so furious. I didn't want him in my life anyway. And here he's telling me to hear it from a man Mm -hmm. at that age is even worse than a woman, I think, because I'm starting to realize even at 10 years old, you've got to be pretty to gain the attention of a man. And even though he wasn't saying it, he was basically saying you could be a lot prettier Mm -hmm. if you didn't eat so much. Mm -hmm. I was, I was outraged, but there was no safe place to, vent those feelings. So again, what did I do? Ate another cup of honey nut Cheerios, you Mm -hmm. know? So that continued on. Um, I think in high school, it got out of control. Um, I wrote in my book that uh, my best friend moved away 
at in the fall of our junior year and I became suicidally depressed and uh I that year I think I was at least 50 pounds over a healthy BMI maybe more because I wasn't on a scale but I know what size clothes I was wearing you know so I'm I can kind of estimate now how heavy I was did anybody tell you that Sarah or was that just what you were able to kind of look around and figure out as a teenager it was I mean it was so obvious you know what I mean like like I'm so much bigger than her or whoever, whoever's on the homecoming, you know, party. And I remember like, I think it was, yeah, that fall that I got nominated for like, they have, they have prom in spring, but then they have this other dance called silver arrow because it's Jackson Indians. So, um, they had the silver arrow dance in the fall. And typically what would happen is all of the clubs that existed in the school could nominate a girl and a boy candidate. So it didn't matter what club you were in. So that was kind of the non-popularity contest. It was like the fairer, you know, a contest. And then the prom was of course, typical, super popular and beautiful people in the school, right? So I was absolutely floored when my drama club nominated me as the candidate, like I couldn't believe it. But I showed up, you know, and wore, and at least in the nineties, you could wear oversized things, you know, like, I mean, I was literally wearing my dad's extra large flannel shirts and getting compliments. (laughs) At least that was a positive thing I was hearing. (laughs) But I was hiding, you know, I'm, I'm wearing men's clothing, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I went to the dance. I danced one dance with the guy who was my friend. I liked him. He was funny and we got along great. And then I went to the bathroom and then I walked out like, because I'm like, this is not me. I'm not, I'm not a beauty queen. I'm not a it's not who I am. I mean, can't anyone tell that you can't be X number of pounds and be, you know, on the court for silver arrow queen. Like I'm not even going to bother, you know? So it's like this self-condemning. Yes. I, I had heard this from my peers. I had heard this from family members. Um, not going to name names, but, uh, really painful things growing up. And when I was in high school, after that happened, I realized after some, um, relationship problems I had that the heavier I was, the further boys would stay away. Mm -hmm. So after some relationship issues, I'm like, I'm done. And so then I packed on more and more weight. So when I came back, I remember coming back to school after the summer between junior and senior year and people looking at me like, like they felt sorry for me Mm -hmm. because I had gained another 20, 30, I guess, pounds, you know, Mm -hmm. and like I would, there was this 
girl in our class, I think everybody has this in their class, like the fattest girl, the fattest boy, you know, like that's, it's sad that we do that, but I think this is just what we do, you know? And I was like neck and neck with her, you know? And I, I wasn't that way at the end of junior year, but by the end of that summer I was. So I think that, um, something clicked in me, um, over that school year, my senior year of high school. Um, this is how my kids are all teenagers now. And they're like, wow, mom, when I tell them this story, I said, I would drive home to eat lunch by myself. Like it was an open campus. So you could leave. I would go home and I started just, I don't know what I, I don't know if I watched something. I don't know if it was a magazine article I read, but I just started making uh, rice with vegetables and soy sauce and I liked it. And it was quick enough to microwave that and eat in 10 minutes and get back to school, you know? So I started losing weight and I was actually eating healthy stuff, you know, rather than sitting down and eating a whole bag of chips and a whole container of, you know, bean dip or something, right? Um, I don't know why that, um, I don't know what, happened, but I hate looking back now and seeing I had to socially isolate myself to come up with a solution. Like my kids, you know, are saying the only people that would do that now, mom in high school are like total outcasts, you know, like, because for teenagers eating lunch with your friends is like the one saving grace of going to school during the day, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so I, I even unplugged from that. But by the time that I started college, I was at a healthy weight. So I probably, I don't know how much, again, I wasn't stepping on a scale because I was too afraid um, to see how much I weighed. But I bet that I lost 40 or 50 pounds between January of senior year and like August, September of, you know, freshman year in college. Um, so that's when all of my food issues really um really took root. And I think that, um, you know, I've read some things that say if you develop a lot of fat cells when you're still growing, like, you know, when you're young, it's going to be a lot harder for you to lose weight when you're older, because it's like you've programmed your cells to crave, 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 you know? And so now that I'm in my mid forties, I feel like I'm going through reverse puberty or something. All these things in my body are going haywire because just due to the normal aging process, right? And I'm like, well, you know, part of this is just, I guess, natural consequences for the choices that I made back then in dealing with all my trauma. I didn't realize that ripple effect would come out decades later. And so I'm coming to terms with that. You know, now I'm saying, you know, I don't want to starve myself. I don't want to kill myself to be a certain weight. Um, I've got to learn how to be healthy and kind to myself, but that might not look like what I weighed when I was 26. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've never been, even at my 
lowest adult weight, I was never as thin as the thinner people in my family. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I wasn't unhealthy then, but I know my metabolism was at a different place when I'm 26 versus 43, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have to accept that. And another thing that has actually helped me find some peace is, um, first for four years, I think, um, at my last church, I was a small group leader and I was the youngest person in the group by 10 years. So all these ladies are in their fifties and sixties and even seventies. It was awesome because I'm gaining all this wisdom from them. And I'm talking about how, like, I'll tell you something funny. I said, my, you know, 13 year old son is sitting by me in the car. I think maybe 14. And he's like, mom, I've got some hairs on my chin. Like he's all excited and I didn't say it, but I'm like, so do I, you know, like, <laughs> great. We're growing beards at the same time. <laughs> Oh, you know, but it's like those stupid things start happening with us. <laughs> oh, aging. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, am I going to fight this? Am I going to make this like a part-time job, you know, fighting this or am I going to embrace it? Even learn to laugh about it, you know, and just say, if I'm carrying this extra weight, Am I, because my cells were programmed like that when I was 10, when I was 15, right? Am I going to look back and hate that girl that I was, or am I going to love her? Mm -hmm. Am I going to love that 10 year old that's still inside me, that 15 year old inside me and say, you deserve love. Yeah. You deserve love and food is not your enemy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a source of delight that God has provided for you. And I just wish if I could go back and talk to her when she's mixing up an entire box of jello instant chocolate pudding after school for her snack and she's going to eat the whole thing. I'm going to say, you know, what you need right now is the Lord himself and the body of Christ. But you can have one cup of that chocolate pudding, just not four cups of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying with my daughter right now. She's, well, she's 13. And so she's right in the throes of that valley of pain that I was in, you know, and we've had some conversations about how her generation is so much more body acceptance mm -hmm. friendly, but we've also said, okay, look at this gal who's very, very body positive, right? But she's obviously even bigger than I was in high school when I was, when my BMI was in the obese category, you know, it's like, we've got to take care of ourselves. You know, we've got to take care of our bodies and get them to a healthy level because the, the longer that we can steward our bodies well, the more we can do for God's kingdom, the more 
um, the more active we can be, literally physically active we can be because we're not dealing with those aches and pains um, from being heavy, you know? So we're having some hard conversations and I think everything that's happened to me has helped me shape those conversations in a better way. And it's also helped me realize when I say something that I didn't mean to sound critical, um, to apologize and just tell her, I'm sorry. Like I, I didn't mean that to come off in, in that way. And I'm struggling in this same area too. Like, you know, don't feel like I'm pointing a finger at you. I still have to mind this area myself, you know? So it's, it's, it's like a good thing to walk through this again with her, because I feel like I'm gaining some healing over it and realizing I can't undo what happened to me, but I can at least do better by her as her mom learning from everything that happened to me. Yeah. I feel like there's so much to unpack. <laughs> I have so many notes. I want to unpack so, so, so much with you. Um, oh, there's just like things in your story that, um, you know, hit me as like, oh, I want to point this out. Oh, I want to point this out. Um, just like picking up the diet culture stuff, like you had really fast, significant weight loss, um, which as a, as a dietitian, if I was looking at that, at that, I would have diagnosed you malnourished. Oh, yeah. um, and, but your, your response is I was healthy. I, I had this really significant weight loss and then I was at a healthy weight. And that's, that's how our culture is like, oh, it's okay. It's okay that you had this, you know, malnourished period of your life because you reached a healthy weight. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, and, and then we, then we can dig into like, what is a healthy weight too? And um, what is BMI? Uh, it's, it's a joke. It's something that was developed and the people that developed BMI were trying to, they were trying to organize people into like, okay, what's like the average person size and what's like the not so average, whatever. And when they talked about BMI, they said, this shouldn't be used as a marker for health or as a, it's it's just simply a way for us to like categorize averages. Don't use this as a marker for health. That's so funny because my uh, health insurance company uh, raised my rates because I'm not at that level anymore. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so then, and BMI, like what the categories were used to be much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when the obesity, obesity in quotes epidemic happened, um, basically loads of people became obese overnight because a group of people sat around a table and said, actually, we should lower the overweight and obese categories of BMI. So we can charge more money for insurance. Yeah. So like not scientifically based, the people that developed BMI said, don't use this as a health marker. Then a group of people sat around a table and said, let's lower it. It should be lower. Like it, it doesn't amount to anything. So I, I just want to, um, 
oh, just share in the, yeah, like I'm pregnant right now. And every time I go to my doctor's appointment, one of my problems is obesity and pregnancy. And every time I read it, I'm just like, this means nothing. And yet it makes me feel like I am less than, and like, you need to be aware of that because this means nothing about my health. This means nothing. And yet it has like this power to make me feel not normal, less than like, I'm not doing enough, like I'm not enough. Um, So I just want to challenge that the thought of being overweight or obese or the wrong BMI, um, what, what makes, what's the wrong weight? Who decided what the wrong weight was? Um, I think that, I think it's diet culture. And I think we give diet culture a lot of power to decide what's normal weight and what's overweight and what's obese. Um, And we don't really get to decide that. God decided that from the beginning, when you weren't struggling with food, you said you were bigger than the people in your family. That was your design. Right. Um, and yes, it's absolutely true that as we, as we wait cycle, if we gain and lose, gain and lose, you know, God designed our bodies to then hold on to more fat to protect us mm-hmm. from malnourishment, from famine. So if you have weight cycled, if you have gone through struggles with food, yep, your body size might be a little bit bigger than it would have been otherwise. But I love, I love that you get it, that you, you got to meet it with kindness. You got to meet it with acceptance. You can't fight it. You can't change it. And something that I know has been helpful for me, and I have coached people through that I'm seeing with you as well, is going back to that girl and offering the things that you need. But then also like I've said prayers of thanking God for giving me the coping mechanism of food. When I was, when I was struggling with my parents' drug addiction or like so many things, like food was a coping mechanism that I had and it got me through. And I am so thankful for that. And now I have more coping tools and now I, now I understand how to cope in a, in a healthier way. And And you bet sometimes I still say, oh, I'm really stressed right now. And I'm having that like, oh, I'm going to eat this pack of cookies and I'm going to have two cookies and then I'm going to go pray and like meditate. And the cookies were great. And the prayer and the meditation helped more long term. And and now I can move on. Um, So I'm seeing that I'm seeing that growth in you. And um, I just I really want to challenge the the overweight, the obese, the think about those things. Um, Think about health at every size. Think about like who, who decided what the the right weight to be is, because um, I think the right weight to be is the weight that you are when you're eating and moving intuitively. And it's, it's not the same for everybody. That's so wise. Thank you for that. Yeah. Sarah, I want to spend some time with what you said about, um, kind of walking through this now with your daughter, because I think a lot of things come up for that. And the first thing I thought of was just your emotional response to thinking, um, you know, thinking and talking in your heart to that younger you. 
And I have had some very similar, powerful, just healing experiences with that. Um, going back and kind of letting Holy Spirit guide you into those memories and just extending grace and compassion and healing and just loving on that person. And what that's kind of challenged me to do um, is love that love that way to other people who are in that struggle now. Um, because I think my my default, especially now, as I get farther along this this path of teaching and um, you know, just wanting everybody to know all of these things that not all of us know until you do the work and you go, oh, health at every size, you know, obesity is an O word with air quotes that doesn't mean anything. I never knew any of that stuff until I started doing this work either. And so my knee-jerk reaction is to teach somebody this stuff immediately, which involves me judging them for not knowing it and not loving them right away. And what everybody needs, Mm -hmm. everybody, especially teenage girls, um, teenagers of any gender, you know, like Mm -hmm. all women of all ages, people in their forties who are dealing with aging changes, like everybody needs love because I think everybody is struggling with this and it is, the world is so hard on us. And, um, I just, I love that kind of getting a glimpse of the power of extending love when you see somebody hurting like that, even, even when it's just moving yourself with compassion. I, mm-hmm. I'm taking that as a personal challenge to, um, love on other people well with that. And so I want to know about how you're going to be helping your daughter with this, even as you're learning it yourself, which is another thing. A lot of people think we have to have it all figured out before we can (laughs) teach somebody else, even our children. And, um, Hey, waiting for having it all figured out. Like, no, please don't do that. (laughs) This we say all the time, Charlie and I are always saying this is an ongoing process, like learning this work, doing, implementing it, walking it out, practicing it daily. It's just like our walk with the Lord and there's always new challenges and we're always learning and I think, I think that's where the Lord wants us because then we need to rely on him for our strength. So I want to know, like, what, what is walking through this with your daughter look like? And um, what skills have you uh, picked up through, um, through your experience that you are really uh, wanting to impart on her? Well, one thing that she and I have in common is that we hate P.E., Okay. I mean, hate it with a passion, right? Um, As a kid, I was good at everything in school except PE, you know, picked last for the kickball team, you know, and my private school, they knew this about me, right? Like they accepted it. We were 24 kids in the same class, first through eighth grade. Like you just, you're a family, you know? When I get to high school, which was 10 times the size of that class. Those people didn't know that about me. So I was bullied in PE by the teacher and by the other students. Um, So that's when I really decided if I'm gonna work out, nobody's watching me, I'm not doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I think everybody has a workout personality, you know? But I guess one thing I'm trying to teach my daughter is Uh, If you want to go run in the park and you don't like your quote unquote flab flapping, you know, so what? At least you're working out, you know, like at least you're enjoying the creation and doing what you like. That's what matters, 
not mm-hmm. what people think about you. But me as an introvert, I still prefer, and that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. prefer to work out by myself. Um, and I think that's fine too. Like you got it. I guess what I'm saying is one thing I learned, one thing that gave me freedom once I got out of high school is I will never have to play basketball again, ever. I'll never have to play volleyball again, ever. But I do, I knew for my own well-being that I needed to find something that I like to do physically, Mm. okay? So I like to walk. I hate running, but I like walking and I like swimming. That's it. I don't like anything else. I mean, I will do, you know, videos like exercise, mm-hmm. um, body weight exercises or kind of Pilates leaning things, mm-hmm. but like not in a class. I hate going there because it reminds me of being in ninth grade PE, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but at home I'll do it. So like this past summer and the summer before my daughter had online PE, which is great. Like if I had had that as a kid, oh my gosh, the best gift ever. Right. Um, so, but she has said, mom, you know, I want to work out with you. Like uh, she wants an exercise partner. And I've told her what I've tried to tell her is even though you don't like PE either, you've got to find some activity that you like. We've got to take care of our bodies in that way. We've got to move in a way that we like. She doesn't like being outdoors. I do. Like, I love taking prayer walks Mm -hmm. outside. She hates the bugs, the heat, all that stuff. I'm like, that's okay. You're a treadmill girl. You know what I mean? That's totally fine. But I said, you know, if you, if you like working out with a partner, that's probably something you're going to need to do. Like Mm -hmm. long-term, like that maybe is your workout style. I guess, because we've got to find something that makes us happy so that we're motivated to keep returning to it. So knowing that I won't always be her workout partner, you know, I've tried to say, you know, you got to think this through in days to come. How are, how are you going to, how are you going to do that? You know, are you going to, maybe you would like, um, some kind of program, like, you know, how you can watch somebody on screen while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that will be satisfying because really what she wants to do is talk while she's walking or on the elliptical, you know, so she'll just have to find a friend who's willing to do it with her, you know, and that's totally fine, you know, and Mm -hmm. my, my oldest son plays uh, baseball on the varsity team. So um, he did not get that talent from my side, you know, that's from my husband's. But again, I'm like, that's awesome. He loves team sports. Good for him. That makes him happy. Go that direction. I don't have to go that direction. You know, I've talked about this with my daughter. You don't ever have to play a team sport, but you got to figure out something that makes you happy because if it makes you happy, you'll be more likely to return to doing it and you'll feel good after you do it. We've talked about that. We've, she and I have talked about the natural endorphins that you get after you work out and why that almost like, I think I've focused more on that than the weight loss part or weight control part, because I want her to know that it does feel good to exercise when we're doing it for the right reasons. We're not killing ourselves, trying to be a certain weight or impress a certain group of people, Mm -hmm. but just to do it, to honor our bodies because our bodies are the temple of the Holy spirit. 
And the better we take care of them, the longer we can serve him in good health. That's how I'm looking at it now. And I wish I had caught on to that message when I was younger, when I was her age, you know, of stewarding my body as a temple for the good of other people, not necessarily to look a certain way. And I'll have to say, I mean, I feel comfortable saying this because, um, because it's public information, but my sister was Mrs. Missouri. So, you know, going back to the whole, you know, you're the heavier person in the family. Um, that was a ton of like pressure, you know, and I remember telling people all the time, like picture the newspaper, of course, it's, you know, local buzz, right? And I'm like, well, I'm just a mom. She's like the Barbie doll. And people were like, you know, they look at me like I'm nuts. They're like, what? You know, like, I, I think I needed to, I don't know, like, going back to high school, like the whole uh, silver arrow versus, you know, like, I can't be that person, you know, but I can do this. I can be a mom. And it's like, but now I'm looking back on that little season that I was in. I'm like, why, why did I discount myself? Right. Because I can't be beautiful because that's the standard of true beauty. That doesn't make yeah. sense. But I mean, not every family has to deal with that, but I did. Like, that's mm-hmm. like a high pressure uh, situation, you know? And I think I just chose to check out by being, quote, just the mom, you know, which yeah. is ridiculous. Like, I look back at that now and say, that was so, like, not fair to myself, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's what it sounds like, like you recognize, like you're an introvert. You don't want to play sports. You probably didn't want to be the body queen. Like, right. Right. Like being a mom, you like you, like, this is who you are and it's good. And we know that like, this is what I actually want. But then we look at like what culture says is good, what culture says is success, what, and it's like outgoing beauty queen, like this whole thing. It's like, I don't actually even want that. Like, right. like <laughs> this is who I am. And I like being an introverted mama and I like, you know, and so like, I think, I think as age and, and we time goes on and we do this work with God and we get to know who we are in him and all of that. Like we find this, this time of, at least I pray all of, all of us, you know, find this time of embracing who we really are. Um, yeah. And it sounds like you really strongly knew who you were, even when you were talking about um, your mom's boyfriend with the cereal thing, like the words you used were like enraged, like <laughs> yeah. it wasn't like you felt bad. You didn't feel shame. You didn't feel like you, you didn't feel sad. Like you were mad because like, you're like, this is who I am. I'm happy with who I am. And like, why is, why is there a problem with these things? Um, so I, I feel like you had this really good attunement with like who you were and what you wanted. Um, and you just kind of struggled with, which I think so much of us do, like, what's the expectation of others and what am I supposed Mm -hmm. to be? 
And um, I just kind of love your, I love that it's like this anger of like, but I don't want to be that girl. <laughs> I, I like being who I am. Um, like you knew that at a, as a young age, you knew that. Um, yeah. It's just, it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So Sarah, you, we've, we've talked about um, kind of the physical side of things a little bit, but we, we cannot let you go without digging into some good, um, some good mental health and uh, certainly Christian meditation discussion because um, Transforming Your Thought Life was such a great book. I so, so, so enjoyed it. And I think it really uh, aligns with a lot of the things that we try and teach around intuitive eating from a faith-based perspective of just being aware of your thoughts, learning to um, think about your thoughts, which is not something culture tells us to do. And a lot of times we're not equipped to do anything with that, even if we can notice our thoughts. And I think the practice of Christian meditation, where we kind of take those thoughts captive, especially taking the diet thoughts captive and really learning how to infuse God's word into our thought life is kind of, I mean, just like your title says, it's transformative. Like it transforms your thought life. And I would love for you um, to share just kind of a little bit about that book and um, Christian meditation and how you came to write this book and just what that looks like for you now in terms of a, uh, a practice. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the way I came to write that book is um, I just, in 2003, I bought a one-year Bible because I had never written, read through the entire Bible um, before, even though I was a church girl. Um, and the Christian bookstore here recommended it to me. And so uh, I started reading God's word every day, just in a little um, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs reading. And so um, the editors had put a verse in bold from every day. And I just took that as a cue. That's a verse I needed to think about. And within, I would say, a month, um, you know, it starts in the book of Genesis and it starts in the gospel of Matthew. So I had, I had gone to a Christian college <clears throat> and we had learned, um, you know, that the Bible is infallible. It's without error. It's the ultimate truth. And I believed that. I mean, I, I knew that. And so I'm reading these stories and I'm reading about, you know, Abraham. I'm reading about Joseph, especially Joseph, son of Jacob and Rachel, that his story really resonated with me. And I'm like, and, and then the gospels, what Jesus was saying. And I'm like, if this is true, and I believe it's true, then what's going on in my mind is false. <laughs> it does not match what I'm thinking. I'm Everything I'm hearing on these pages is love-infused. And there's a lot of hatred going on up here. A lot of lies. Lies that other people have told me, some of that I've talked about today. Um, and a lot of lies that I've just held on to for a long time. And I started realizing, you know, this, this is the God who loves me. 
Um, if he loved Joseph so much, he was going to preserve, he gave him this word of prophecy when he's 17, goes through all these horrible hardships that weren't even his fault, you know, to be raised to this place of honor when he's 30 years old. He could have believed a lot of lies, but he held onto that truth that God had told him about his dynasty. Mm-hmm. And that's what power, I think that's what powered him through those years in prison that he was in, you know, obscurity. And I'm like, what if, what have I been believing in my obscure years? You know, am I believing that I was, you know, Joseph could have believed that he was guilty of adultery with, you know, Potiphar's wife, or that he had botched some story with the, you know, cupbearer and bread maker, whoever they were, you know, that he interpreted their dreams. And I'm like, but that's not true. Cause you know, that's, we know the truth, but was he believing a lie about the truth? You know, so I'd engage with it and think on it and think on it. And I'm like, this just does not match up. So I have a choice now. Am I going to keep hanging on to those things? Or am I going to start living in a way that shows I believe this is true because I do believe it's true. Mm-hmm. So that's when the transformation started and really recognizing the Holy Spirit's voice because it was just me, the Bible and the Holy Spirit in the morning before I go to work. And after that first month, two months, I mean, I was excited. I'm like, what is he going to tell me today? You know, like this is, this is awesome. But then, you know, our God is a loving father and book of Hebrews tells us, you know, he disciplines those that he loves. Right. And so I think that I started realizing that when I would go on a binge, I wasn't thinking at the time I was letting my emotions and my drives take over. And I would start hearing the Holy Spirit. And I knew it was his voice because I was exposing myself to his word, you know. And he would say things, and it was always in a loving tone. So I knew it wasn't that inner critic, that Enneagram one, all of us have this harsh condemning inner critic inside of me. So I know what that voice sounds like, you know. But sometimes very quietly, he'd say, what is the reason you're shoving all this chocolate in your mouth right now? Why are you doing this? You know, and it wasn't an accusatory tone. It was a, like, if someone would sit beside you, put their arm around you and say, I love you. And I don't want to see you destroying yourself kind of thing. And then I'd have to back up because when you're caught up in this, trauma cycle, right? You're doing things just on impulse. So I'd have to go back and think about what triggered me. Oh, it's because I got off the phone with this person and I'm not happy with how this ended. And it reminds me of decades of unresolved pain, right? So I'm going to stand in the pantry and shove chocolate chips in my mouth, like handfuls of them, right? So I started going back into those triggers. So I was just doing this on my own. Like I was not 
in counseling at the time. Um, I was not really guided by any literature on this, you know, so this was all just raw and new. And then in, <clears throat> in 2007, I read the book Boundaries for the first time. And it, I say this a lot. I read over 100 books a year. I have since I was a kid, you know, and there is no other book besides the Bible that has changed my life more than that book. It's amazing. I've memorized whole sections of it. I go back to it every like November through December 25th, go back and strengthen my boundaries, you know? And that's what really, really, really started uh, helping me. And one of the most important, so they, they go through the first few chapters are what are boundaries, boundaries in the Bible, like, what, how this plays out. And then they go through like where you apply boundaries and it starts with boundaries and yourself. Then it goes to boundaries and your spouse and your family and your work and you know, all those categories. Right. But it starts with boundaries with yourself. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, I get it. Like when I'm binging I'm, I'm overrunning my own boundaries. Like that's not good. That's something that I need to change mm -hmm. and something I need to be aware of. And not, I'm not saying it stopped, but at least I was at that point of discovery, you know, where I'm not in denial about it anymore. Not, in, not ignorant to the truth anymore. And um, that really helped me. And then uh, two years later, I started counseling. And I was in that for over five years. That's when, that's when the real growth began. That's when the real difference began in unpacking all that junk, like those stories that I was mm -hmm. telling you about and learning to go back and love your past self that's still inside you and all this stuff. So then you know, what, what the Lord had introduced to me one-on-one, -on -one, then I started getting professional help and assistance. And that, that is when the healing really took root. And then I want to make this really clear too, because I think this is so important. Um, I got involved with a small group at my church when my first uh, son was born. And then I started realizing these ladies, imperfect as they were, we're speaking things into my life that were so different from what I'd heard growing up. Like, oh, there are healthy people out there. I mean, emotionally healthy, mm -hmm. you know, there are people I can trust. Mm -hmm. Like maybe I've just been, I've been hanging around the wrong group of people my whole life, you know? So it was the combination of all those things. It was God's word, meditating on it daily, letting the Holy Spirit, you know, it says that it's, he's like a, a double-edged sword because he like pierces through and cuts out all the bad stuff that's in us and gives us new life because he heals us like a surgeon. So that going to my counselor, reading top quality, you know, Christian uh, psychology books and definitely connecting with a small group of other ladies who could speak life into me. All those things work together to break the hold 
that the lies had had on me, that really the lies that Satan had used to keep me in bondage, honestly. And one of the greatest things about meeting in our small group is we always had food, you know, and it never, I was never like, oh, I can't eat that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to have that muffin from Sam's. I know it's 500 calories. And so what I'm in celebration mode, you know, don't care, you know, and I would, I, and I think this is okay. I still do this. I'm like, I am not going to cut donuts out of my life. I love donuts. To me, they're the perfect food. They're crispy. They're warm. They're soft. They're a little bit salty. They're greasy and they're uh, sweet. Like all the pleasure points, right? But on a day that I eat donuts, I just eat a little lighter the rest of the day. And it makes me feel good. Like then I don't feel guilty about that. You know, I enjoy it but I don't have Thanksgiving dinner for dinner that night. You know what I mean? And so I've learned that food is a celebration. It's meant to be enjoyed in the company of others. And, um, you know, that it's, it's a source of delight in that way. Mm -hmm. So I know I went on a tangent from meditating on God's word, but really that's where all of the healing place started for me. Yeah, it's in all these areas. It's awesome because really what you described is so biblical. <laughs> like it's exactly what God's God's word said. Like it's like start by knowing me. Know me, seek wise counsel. Like don't do life alone. Mm-hmm. I, I always I you know, I've been talking about this a lot lately like it is great to have Jesus and a therapist. <laughs> Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) You need that. You need that. And then, you know, a group of women supporting you. It's, I I can, I know what that feels like to have kind of that season of healing with people really speaking life into you and and the Lord speaking life into you. And, um, you know, I always say that God kind of, he knows us, right? He created us. He knows our personalities. He knows what we need. And, um, I've had some really good conversations with people of like how God approaches them or like convicts them or, um, and I always say like, God knows how hard I am on myself. And like, he never speaks to me that way. Like the way you described like Holy spirit, putting his arm around you and saying, what's going on here? Like, how can I help you? Like, that's how God meets me. And like, I was just like, yes, I know that feeling. Yes, I know that. Um, It's just, he's so kind and so loving and so helpful. And if we can take that and emulate that in the way that we talk to ourselves, the growth that comes out is just incredible. It's just incredible. And that's that transforming your thought life instead of saying, Oh, here I am at the pantry with the chocolate chips again. What is wrong with me? I need to get better. Da, 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 da. Saying like, Oh, I'm at the pantry with the chocolate chips. What's going on? What am I, what am I upset about? And like, Oh, okay. And, and working through that it's, it's meeting it with that kindness that moves you forward instead of pushes you further into the binge or further into the depression. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it ties with mindfulness, honestly. I think that 
meditating on God's word does make you more mindful in all areas because like Aaron said, it's, it's thinking about your thoughts. And so you're going to be thinking more intentionally about why am I doing this? You know, what am I doing this uh, for? Who am I doing this to please? You know, shouldn't it be between me and God and not this other person? Mm -hmm. So I think now I'm a lot, like I said, I'm not saying I never, ever binge, but it is a lot rarer than it used to be. And um, I'm a lot more mindful of what issue is going on. Like, and this is, here's a good example. Okay. This morning, now this is not a, an emotional issue, but like, I'm, I know I'm getting really honest here. I'm at the end of my cycle. Okay. So I'm like, I'm hungrier, you know, and most of us are right. And so I ate my normal, you know, oatmeal with berries, walnuts, you know, my hot tea, uh, my square of chocolate, like I said, and I'm still like ravenous. And I'm like, oh, what day am I on? Oh yeah, day 26. No wonder I'm so hungry. I've got this podcast. You know what I'm going to eat instead of more carbs? I'm going to make two eggs in the microwave real quick. And like, I feel good right now. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I need protein. I don't need more and more and more carbs. I need protein because that's going to fill me up. And so I've learned sometimes it really is a hunger. Like it's a true biological hunger I'm feeling. But if I put the right thing in, it takes care of the hunger so I can get on with the rest of my day and do what God's calling me to do rather than just grabbing the first thing I see, which was like the Lay's Poppables, which I also love on the shelf. Yeah. But I, my stomach would have been growling by this point of our conversation yeah, yeah. if I had done that. So sometimes it's just, it's not, it's, it can be an emotional issue, but like, I bet there's a lot of times that I stood in the pantry with the chocolate chips that I was genuinely hungry. Yeah, It would have been better for me to heat up a chicken patty. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah, I, I have also learned that too. Like sometimes just legitimize your needs for food, like for fuel, you yeah. know, and do it the right way. Yeah. Well, and like, that's the critical thinking part of intuitive eating. Like there is a critical thinking part of it, of the, I'm hungry. What sounds good. Sometimes the things that sound good then don't meet the qualification of like, what do I need? What do I have to do today? What's, you know, am I, can I eat that and come back in five minutes if I want something else? Or do I need something that's going to last me a couple hours? And that you, you come to a place of this sounds good and it's going to feel good in my body and fuel what I need today. I'll go with that. Mm-hmm. And if I want the poppables when I'm done recording the podcast, you bet I'm going to have those poppables, right? right? <laughs> yeah, you might not have realized you were doing it at the time, Sarah, but that's really, I mean, that's really intuitive eating. That's you're eating in a way that is honoring to your personal needs in that moment in a way that nourishes you, enables you to live fully. I mean, that's, that's what it is. So when, when people aren't like super familiar with the principles and all our jargon we throw out, it's like, oh, did you like eat in the way that God created you to eat? And it felt good. Okay. <laughs> you, you did it. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, maybe this is a good time to share the story that I kind of previewed for you all before we started. So talking about mental health, um, 
you know, I've written and spoken about this before. Um, on both branches of my family, there's mental illness. And uh, my issue is depression. So I've already mentioned that, but there's more severe forms of it, of other things on the spectrum in my family. And so I didn't uh, discover this until a conversation I had in my late thirties with one of my um, family members that um, chocolate had actually been prescribed as an option because of the serotonin uptake. And for people who have serotonin issues, chocolate is a certain food. There's other foods that are really good for serotonin boosts, but that's, that's one of them. And I was telling y'all that I went on this um, amazing trip to Milwaukee and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. So my husband and I went on a food tour and one of the places that we went, which was so cool. Okay. So you get on this bus and you can stop wherever you want. So like we went to an Italian open market, we went to a German style pub, and then we went to this place that was a brunch place and it, it was called Benelux and it had over 300 craft beers on tap that changed monthly. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I've never had beer with breakfast, but I'm gonna do it today. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was awesome. It was so awesome. Like we had such a blast, you know, having all those little cuisines. And so we were doing this and we're on day three of our trip. And like, I was feeling just off. And I knew it wasn't anything else that normally goes on with you when you're on a trip, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what's wrong, you know, and then my husband and I stopped somewhere and they had like chocolate on display. And I'm like, I haven't had chocolate in three days. And as soon as I ate a piece of it, I felt better, like immediately, like it was, it was like something was right, restored in my body. Mm-hmm. And I think that I've learned that for me, for my family issues, for my own serotonin uptake issues, one square of chocolate does the trick. That's better than being on Paxil. You know, it is. I mean, I could do that, but this works for me. And yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for it. Um, in my book, I tell a story about, like I was on the cabbage soup diet and college, you know, the malnutrition uh, phase of my <laughs> life. Right. And I was like, I was so angry one day before I go to school, I'm eating carrots in my um, car for breakfast. I'm like, this is freaking stupid. And I ram rummaged through my book bag and I found a, like a chewy chocolate chip granola bar. And I like just scarfed it down you know, just like absolutely scarfed it. And again, I felt like I felt better immediately, just like I, that piece of chocolate in Milwaukee. And it's because again, another issue with serotonin uptake problems is if you don't eat enough carbs, carbs are a mood regulator. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I had those carbs, I felt like a human again, like a fully functioning person again. And that was the last day of my cabbage soup. Like I didn't even try anymore. You know, I'm like, 
massively needs carbohydrates, people. Yes. And I say it again, your brain massively needs carbohydrates. Yeah. Yeah. So what, speaking of, uh, like carbohydrate bliss. Okay. So while I was in college, I worked at Baskin Robbins and I was mostly a cake decorator, but the coolest thing is that we got to have like a kid size scoop for free every day. So what I would do, and I actually think this was really like smart, even though I didn't understand it at the time, but I'd at the beginning of my shift, I'd eat, I'd eat it because then the rest of the time I was there, I wasn't tempted by it. I mean, I'm literally surrounded by the most delicious ice cream in the world, you know, and people ordering it in front of me the whole time. And people come in all the time and they'd be like, if I worked here, I'd weigh 350 pounds, you know, and I'm like, you know, I just eat a little bit at the beginning of the day. And then I'm like, okay, the rest of the time they're like, I don't have that much self-control. And I'm like, it's really not that hard. Like, honestly, it's not, you know, it's better than depriving myself and like making myself insane with like longing for this thing that's staring me in the face. Just eat a small, a small scoop, not a whole scoop, not an entire Sunday with all the toppings, right? Just eat a portion of it. And I was fine every time. And I got to have ice cream every day that I worked. It was so awesome. Like you had this unconditional permission to have the ice cream. You knew you could have more the next time you knew it was available. And then it doesn't really have power over you. You can eat to satisfaction and move on. Yeah. Permission. That's a, that's a good word to describe, like giving yourself permission to enjoy food, you know? Yeah. Those are two of the principles. I mean, unconditional yeah. permission to eat is a huge component and as a satisfaction, like being able to enjoy your food and all the language you were using, Sarah, which I just so unloved about how it's just such a delight and a gift. And um, like that, those are important parts of eating. And when we take those off the table for whatever reason, through our own self-restriction or through following some other rules, I mean, we're just Sapping the joy out, we're missing out on nourishment and pleasure and just life. So I hope that you've uh, experienced that yourself without even <laughs> knowing that was like a thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I am, I am so excited right now. Like as soon as I get off today, I'm like going to deep dive into season one of your podcast because I'm like I I need I need more of your wisdom in my life. <laughs> I think you're going to find, and I would love to to hear what, what you have to say on this too. Once, once you get through it, like, I think you're really going to find it is so closely aligned with scripture. Like you're, you're just, it's just, it's going to feel natural and you're going to feel like you did, uh, as a kid before, before diet culture and disrupting adults got in the way. I think it's just going to kind of get back to that Sarah that the Lord made exactly the way he made her and just let food be a way to enjoy life and fuel yourself. And I just, um, I can't wait to hear what you think. So you'll have to let us know. (laughs) I've listened to, I have listened to a few, but I haven't like, you know, read the whole book is what I would call it. So I'm like super excited to do that now. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Why don't you tell everybody like where they can find you? You've mentioned books. Tell us what you what you've got. Sure. So if you go to the front page of sarahgeringer.com, you'll see my books and 
when this airs, you'll see Transforming Your Thought Life, Christian Meditation and Focus for Adults. And then you'll see Transforming Your Thought Life for Teens, which is meant for teen girls. And I'm also uh, going to have a resource, a free resource, if you sign up for my email list, to uh, have like a discussion guide between moms and daughters or mentors and teen girls, uh, youth group leaders, so that we can start talking about these issues uh, with our girls and pouring, speaking life into the next generation. Uh, I know that Gen Z is very hungry for authenticity and vulnerability. So if we can take that first step, we can help them start that transformation process a lot earlier than it ever occurred for us. So there's a lot of hope there. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that is exactly what they're hungry for. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very fantastic. True. Well, we will link to all of that in, in our show notes and everything. So it'll be real easy for people to come check you out. All right. Thank you and so much. Yeah, we have some some fun little quick fire questions at the end okay. that we like to wrap up with. Um, okay. So first of all, coffee or tea and how do you take it? It's tea all the way. I have to, I'm telling you, I have tried coffee. I worked at Baskin Robbins, iced coffees all the time. Can't stand it. Too bitter for me. Okay. But tea, I start my day with at least three cup, three cups of hot tea. Um, my go-to flavor is Earl Grey, but in like the winter seasons, I have like this super flavored teas, um, sugar plum fairy tea from celestial seasoning is like my favorite Christmassy one. So, and then I drink, um, decaf tea the rest of the day. Like I, like everybody does these water challenges. I'm like, dude, I've been drinking like two gallons of water plus since I was like 15 years old. I got you. Like yeah. don't with me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Would you rather dine in or take out? Well, gosh, that depends on the place, honestly. I mean, I like the slow pace of dining in. I like the, you know, the face-to-face time. But if the service is terrible, you know, I'll just go through the drive-through. <laughs> yeah. Um, your favorite winter activity. Oh, wow. Well, winter is my least favorite season. Okay. So, I mean, because I've struggled with seasonal affective disorder, but, um, if I can go outside, bundle up and walk on a sunny day, no matter how cold it is, mm-hmm. I feel so much better. Yeah. Vitamin D and also just being in nature. Yeah. And I don't mind if, if it's not absolutely freezing cold, you know? Yeah. Oh, so good. I feel like Holy Spirit gave me that question because like somebody really needed to hear that answer. Like, yeah. I don't love the winter. I struggle with my mental health in the winter and here's what I do to deal with it. Love mm-hmm. it. So good. Yeah. Um, your favorite fruit and how do you eat it? Well, um, I love cherries, tart cherries. Um, My mom has a picture of this and I actually remember, I have a photographic memory. It goes all the way back to 16 months old. So I was not two years old yet. 
And they had gotten an industrial size can of cherry pie filling from like the local freezer place. And they didn't realize that they left it, my grandma and mom. And I came back, I had cherry goo all over my face and hands. And I had eaten like, I don't know, two cups of cherries. (laughs) And you still love them? Wow. (laughs) I love, like tart is my favorite flavor profile. I love tart food. I love it. I love it. Um, Would you rather fly on vacation or drive? I hate flying. So... I, I, this is why I hate flying. I, I absolutely hate roller coasters. Like I have like a panic attack literally, um, when I ride them. And so the ascent in an airplane feels like the ascent on a roller coaster. And like, you can't not feel that. Like, I'm not afraid of crashing. I'm not afraid of any of that stuff. Right. But I'm afraid of that feeling of being on a roller coaster. So, um, unless I'm like, I don't think I would drive to California like no, but I'm saying within a reasonable distance driving. You'd rather drive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you a pet person? And if so, what's your favorite type of pet? Oh yeah. I'm a dog mom. Like every birthday I had as a kid, I grew up and I wished for a dog. Like, you know, you blow out your candles. It was always a dog. And so now I have my Memphis and he's, uh, two-year-old um, lab, and he's so sweet and he's so good. So Aaron and I are dog moms too. Oh, yeah, doggies. I know. I love Aaron's mom. I love her doggy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, good stuff. All right. Well, Sarah, we have just enjoyed having you with us so much. This has been super fun, and um, thank you for just sharing so vulnerably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a blessing. Just- I feel filled up now, honestly. I feel full and and rejoicing. And I'm just so glad to be here with you. Thank you. Well, would you close us in prayer? I'd love to do that. Father God, oh, I just thank you, Lord, for the gift of food. And I thank you when we can share it uh, and delight in it with other people. And I was just reading today, Lord, Um, That when you open the eyes of the two that were on the road to Emmaus, it was over a meal, Lord. And I know that you've promised us that when we're in heaven, it's going to be a great feast, a great banquet that all of the nations will be invited to and we'll be able to rejoice. We will be able to rejoice around food somehow, Lord, and I can only imagine how wonderful it'll taste. And so I pray that you will help us delight now, Lord, in the the gift of food that you've given us and help us to um, hold it in the right standing. Lord, help us to um, recognize your voice, Holy Spirit, when you lovingly correct us and trust that you want the best for us. And um, I pray your blessings on Aaron and Charlie, and I just pray your blessings on the work that they're doing to spread the biblical message of intuitive eating. And I pray uh, your blessings on all the people listening today. May your face shine upon them, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
As a bit of an epilogue, we recorded that conversation with Sarah in June of 2021. As we released this episode in February of 2022, I thought it would be fun to check in with Sarah and see how her intuitive eating journey is going. She emailed me this. What has changed? Since we recorded this episode, Sarah has gained weight due to the natural aging process in her 40s. Rather than struggling with negative thoughts about this, intuitive eating has helped her accept her body and still enjoy the food she loves. I just love seeing how God is rewriting her food story. He is so good. Uh, We hope uh, you enjoyed this episode, and we hope you'll go connect with Sarah and follow along with her journey and read her incredible writing. So again, Sarah Geringer has written two books about managing your thought life with Christian meditation, one for adults and one for teens. These books can help you use scripture to overcome your thought life struggles in 17 different areas. And you can learn more about Sarah and her books over at sarahgeringer.com. Thanks for listening today. We'll see you in the next episode.